Welcome to this week's Parsha Share this week on uh, Parsha Svayikra. We're actually going to deal this week not just with Parsha Svayikra, but with the whole book of Vayikra, Sefer Vayikra, which deals essentially with Korbanot, which deals with Korbanos, the sacrifices that were brought, the ritual sacrifices that were brought during the time, about 1500 years, when the Jewish nation had a Beis HaMikdosh. It started off with a Mishkan, and eventually there was a Beis HaMikdosh in Yerushalayim. There was a brief period, about uh, 70 years, when there was no Beis HaMikdosh in Yerushalayim, but then there was a Beis HaMikdosh again. Eventually it was destroyed, and we've had roughly 2,000 years of Golas, of exile, when we don't bring Korbonus. We're going to be dealing with those issues today, because Korbonus, ritual sacrifice, where we take animals, when we kill them for the, uh, for the service of God, that is something which is, it's not unique to Judaism, but it's unique in the, in the sense that Judaism is the only live, active religion today which still celebrates this concept, which still considers this idea as something which is, which is a relevant idea in terms of the service of God. And we have to understand that. I'm not going to get into the debate right now, I'm not yet getting into the debate of whether when the third base Amikdosh is established we're going to have Korbonos. Um, that's a, a subject for discussion. Perhaps it will come up uh, as we discuss some of the concepts that, uh, uh, that are going to be relevant to today's share. But ultimately what I want to talk about is how we deal with Korbonos. And we know from tradition that Sefer Vayikra is the first um, is the, in fact the first book of the Torah that we teach and ultimately uh, it's, it may not necessarily be true but in tradition uh, the idea is that we teach the youngest children the book of Vayikra we want to educate them in the ways of our faith and our faith believes in sacrifice and even though we don't have any practical application for the laws that are contained in Vayikra and Leviticus nevertheless uh, the the ideas behind them are crucial components of what it means to be a Jew. Of course, over the past uh, month, two months, three months, we've been looking at Mikdash HaLevi. We're going to be looking at Parshas Vayikra through the eyes of Mikdash HaLevi, the Sefer written by my grandfather, Rav Yosef Tzvi HaLevi Dunar, Zechat Tzadik Livrocha. Let's begin. Dabar el Bnei speak to the Jewish nation, say to them, Odom kiyakriv mikem korban Lashem, a man from among you, and he brings a sacrifice to God. Minha behema from animals, minha bokor from from cows, minha tsoin from sheep. Takrivu es korbanchem, you should bring close. Takrivu, you should offer up your sacrifice. Says Rashi, perish Rashi. Adam ki yakriv mikem, keshe yakriv. When a person brings a carbon, but carbonos nedova diber ha'inyan. So the fact is, says Rashi, the very first carbon that is addressed in Parshas Vayikra is what's known as a carbon nedova. What is a carbon nedova? Do you know what a carbon nedova is? It's a carbon that you bring of your own volition. It's not a carbon that you are mandated to bring. It's not a carbon which you need to bring. It's a carbon which you want to bring. So we're going to see how the Mikdash Alevi is going to fold this in to the ideas behind what it means to be a person of faith. Moitzim Onu, says the Mikdash Alevi. We find in this, Ki parshas vayikra ha'isekes bilchus ha'kobonus. In the parsha, in this portion of vayikra that deals essentially with the ideas and with the laws of sacrifices, it doesn't begin its deliberations, its discussions about karbonis with what's known as a carbon chayva, a mandated carbon, nor does it begin with a communal carbon. What is a communal carbon? I'll give you an idea what a communal carbon is. It's a carbon tomid. Every single day, the beginning of the day in the Beis Hamikdash, the very first carbon was a carbon tomid, and the last carbon of the day was a carbon tomid. What's a carbon chayva? Uh, the carbon chayva is 
It's a mandated sacrifice. If you sin, you must bring a sacrifice as part of your penitence, as part of your penance for that sin. So you have communal korbanas, which are which are not individual. They are on behalf of everybody, on behalf of all the Jewish people. And you have uh, a korban, which is a chayv, uh, which is an obligation. It's mandated, and that's when somebody does something wrong. And in order to go through the penitential process, they have to bring a korban. But you know what? Vayikra says the Mikdash Halevi doesn't begin with a carbon chayva, nor does it begin with a carbon tzibur. It begins with a carbon nedova, right? Odom kiyakriv, somebody who wants to bring a carbon. Elodafka be carbon nedova shelyachid, the individual carbon um, that is brought by somebody who decides that that's what they want to do. They want to offer up a gift, a carbon, a sacrifice to Hashem. Belichoira says the Mikdash Alevi. On the face of it, matam hadovar. How do we explain this? What is the reason for this? Why would it be that the book, and let's just deal with a portion, the parsha that deals with Karbonus, that introduces the idea of the laws of sacrifices, would begin with a voluntary sacrifice and doesn't begin with a mandated sacrifice, whether it be individual or collective. The Nir Eloima says the Mikdash Shalevi, it appears to me that we can say, When a person brings a chatos, which is one type of sin offering, or an osham, which is another type of sin offering, or when a community, a congregation, offers up its sacrifices. The fact is that they have no other, um, no uh, um, alternative when it comes to bringing these korbanos. These are mandated in terms of what needs to happen. And they bring up the korban, they could do it, they could bring the nicest korban possible. And nevertheless, this is something that they have to do. It's very possible to, to speculate, to consider the idea that had they had free choice in this, they might have decided not to bring that carbon. They might have, might have said to themselves, you know what, I don't really want to bring this carbon today, I'm not feeling in the mood. The, the um, duty that they have as Jews is that they have no choice. They are duty-bound to bring these karbonos. That's what they need to do. That's what is expected of them. And that's, in the end, what they end up doing. But if you look on the other side of the coin, the flip side, maybe carbon When somebody brings you feeling, you know what, he wakes up in the morning, he says, Thank you, Hashem. I'm so happy, Hashem, with what you've done for me. I would like to bring of my own free will. I'm not no one's demanding it of me. I would like to bring a carbon. who made al In this way, it is self-evident. He is, as it were, uh, um, a living example of the fact he's got no doubt that he'd love to do mitzvahs he's totally committed to the cause he wants to be a person of faith and that's why he's willing to give a carbon even when he doesn't have to it's not something that he's doing out of a sense of duty. He wants to do even more. He's expected to do one thing, he wants to do more. He's expected to do two things, he wants to do three, he wants to do four, whatever it is. He is not simply satisfied with that which he is mandated to do. He would like to do a little bit extra. He wants to go the extra mile. Therefore, and that's the reason, says the Mikdash HaLevi, that is why in Parshas Vayikra, which deals 
with introduces the concept of carbonos to the Jewish nation, the very first carbon that is used for this introduction is a carbon adova, is a carbon that one brings out of a sense of I want to do it, not because I have to do it, I want to do it. Carbonos hachoivava carbonos atzibor. By the way, Vayikra deals with both carbonos choiva, duty bound, the things that you need to do in terms of carbonos, and also, also carbonos hatzibur, which are also duty bound, it may not be individually something that you need to do, but you need to participate in a carbon tzibur when you, whether you want to or not. It's to teach you an important lesson about the way you should be bringing a carbon. How do we do mitzvahs? What is our our commitment when it comes to doing mitzvahs? Do we do it out as a sense of duty? I wake up in the morning, oh, I have to go to davening now. I have to uh, I have to put on tefillin. I have to eat kosher. I have to do this. I have to do that. Do I want to do it? Mm, I don't really want to do it, but I, you know, I'm going to do it because Hashem demands it of me. Is that the way you do a mitzvah? Says Vayikra, Vayikra talking about, and, and here you have a, a comparable, because you can bring a carbon which is an adava, and you can bring a carbon which is a carbon uh, which is a chayv, or a carbon tzibur. Both of them are the same carbon, it's the same cow, it's the same sheep, it's the same carbon mincha. Nevertheless, they are different in terms of your particular obligation in terms of what they are. A carbon adova you don't have to bring. If you never brought a carbon adova in your life, no one is going to hold it against you. Nevertheless, it says something about you if you want to bring a carbon adova. However, there's something more here. The fact that Parshas Vayikra begins with a carbon adova is there to teach you that even when you bring a carbon tzibur or a carbon chayv, you need to do it in the same way as you would do a carbon adova. The attitude, the um, the, uh, the feelings that you have toward this particular carbon has to be identical. It shouldn't be different. And Parshas Vayikra, Sefer Vayikra, begins with a carbon nadova, a voluntary, totally unmandated carbon, to say that this is the type of attitude that you should have towards all carbonas. Kalaymar, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem wants from us that we bring every carbon that we bring, anything that we do for Him, that we do it with joy and because we want to do it. Not just because we want to discharge our duty. But because we want to increase and ever increase and increase even more in our service of God. And to bring him joy and pleasure in everything that we do. We desire to do the right thing for Hashem. And that's why Parshas Vayikra and Sefer Vayikra begins with Daber el Bnei Odom ki yakriv mikem karban Hashem, a karban nedova. That's the reason why Vayikra begins in this way. Continues Mikdash HaLevi, Daber el Bnei Yisrova Odom ki yakriv, the same posuk. Al muhusam shela karbanais. Let's examine the uh, the ideas, the philosophical, theological ideas that are suggested when it comes to bring carbonus. It's a troubling thing for us because we don't bring carbonus today and we can't ever imagine that we would offer up animals for the sake of Hashem and that that's something that we would do. In other words, I, I'm not suggesting from, I, I told you, I'm not stepping into that debate. But the idea of bringing carbonus is, is so foreign to us. We don't live in cultures where carbonus are normal, where carbonus are ordinary, where carbonus are things that happen on a daily basis. Whereas thousands of years ago, carbonus sacrifices, animal sacrifice was perfectly normal. It was an ordinary aspect of human life. So the, the different um, opinions regarding carbonus, and here we're going to see two opposing views, one by the Rambam and one, one by, the, by the Ramban, 
I've spoken previously, I've actually addressed this in a share that I've given in the past. You can check it out on my website uh, and uh, I've dealt with this aspect of the friction between the Rambam and the Ramban uh, about bringing Korbanus and why we do it. But here the Mikdash Alevi just briefly summarizes the, the two different opinions as represented by the Rambam and the Ramban. Why is it that we bring Korbanus? What is it that we're meant to feel towards them? How are we meant to conceptualize Korbanus in the Jewish faith? Our rabbis have given, offered us lengthy explanations for what it is that we do in terms of bring Korbanus. There are among those who believe, and that's here he's going to quote, the Rambam ki in yonom shel akorbono esenu lahafkin es kefirosenu beelile haamim. That the reason why we bring korbonos, this is what the Rambam says, is to somehow subjugate, to to um, deaden, to dull the feelings that we may have in terms of the heretical beliefs that exist beelile haamim in the foreign gods, the pagan gods of the nations. There was in existence at the time that the Torah was given uh, pagan gods and to those gods were brought sacrifices. That was perfectly normal. That was the culture of the time that you brought Korbanus to your god. And as a way of somehow embracing that culture but doing so in a legitimate fashion, the idea of Korbanus was introduced to the Jewish people. And they did it, but soin uva bokar lohem sogdu ame kedem. They did it with um, with sheep and with and with cows because those were the animals that the ancient cultures worshipped. Umehem soivrim kimatoras hakarbonus lelamdenu anova ulavienu lechuva. But there's another opinion. There are among our rabbis, and this is the opinion of the Ramban, that the reason for Korban, he rejects what the Rambam says completely. He says the reason for Korbanus is to introduce into the Jewish nation the concept of humility and to bring us to a point of doing Teshuvah. Not that we're doing it as somehow in, in an apologetic fashion because we'd like to bring Korbanus to pagan gods but we don't have pagan gods so at least at the very least we can bring Korbanus to Hashem. That's what the Rambam suggests in Moira Nebuchim. The Rambam rejects that idea completely. He says, no, the idea of a Korban is to bring us to a point of doing Teshuvah. Because in our hearts we have to feel that whatever it is that gets done to the actual Korban, Korban is a living, breathing animal. That's what a cow is, that's what a sheep is, that's what a bird is that you bring for the Korbanais. And you see that animal and what you're doing to it, it's getting killed. And in a sense, it's, it is a parallel to you because you, you too are a mammal. You too could die. You too have a fragile life. And that's, you can see that when it gets done to your Korban. It, we could think to ourselves, you know what, that which is done to the cow or the sheep or the chicken, that could quite easily have been done to us. That could have been our end result. And therefore, you, you put yourself in that space and that will be you to teshuva. You'll do teshuva as a result. Because he who sits in heaven, as it were, is merciful. He doesn't want it to happen to us because we did an Avera. He wants us to bring a Korban and somehow that will act as a penitential replacement for the Korban that we should be because we're not perfect. The Hine. So the Mikdash HaLevi is going to lead in one direction. There is a proof for this second opinion in terms, we had the Rambam says that, that um, animal sacrifices, because that's what was prevalent at the time that uh, the Torah was given at Mount Sinai and continuing on for hundreds, thousands of years. And there's the opinion of the Ramban that says, it, no, it's totally and totally, it's totally independent of anything that may have existed at the time. And it's something that 
speaks to our souls because when we see a an animal being killed and we know that it's being killed because uh, um, because of something that we have done or because it's something that we want to contribute to Hashem, we know that that is in our place. And the only modern day counterpart that I can think of is for those who have the custom on Erev Yom Kippur to do kaporos with a chicken. That we say uh, that this chicken should be, a re- it should be, as it were, a replacement in terms of the fact that it's going to die for whatever punishment that we were going to receive over Yom Kippur if we don't do Teshuvah. So we have this sense, we have this idea that a living, breathing, breathing creature, that's what the Ramban wants to convey to us, a living animal is somehow uh, to act as a replacement for us and therefore we are sensitive to the fact that we are vulnerable, that we are weak and that we are fragile. And we have a proof to this. We can find it in Tehillim. Tehillim, and it's in Perik Nun Aleph, um, the 51st capital chapter of Tehillim, and it's Posikyud Zain to Chof Aleph. Hashem Svasai Tiftoch Ufi Agiti Losecho, says the Posuk. Hashem, Hashem, open my lips and let my mouth declare your praise. Kiloi Sachpoit Zebach, Vaetena Oila. You do not want me to bring sacrifices. You do not need burnt offerings. In other words, Hashem has no desire for korbonas. That's what David HaMelech is saying. We want to do that. We want to bring those korbonas. True sacrifice to Hashem, says Tehillim, is a contrite spirit. Ruach nishpara. You will, Hashem, you won't despise a contrite and a crushed heart. The Pasuk says, may it please you to make Zion, Yerushalayim, prosper and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will want sacrifices offered in righteousness, burnt and whole offerings, and then bulls will be offered on your Mizbayah, on your Mizbayah, on your altar. Says the Mikdash HaLevi, We can explain what David HaMelech meant in this way. David HaMelech Maktim How does David HaMelech in Tehillim introduce the ideas that we're about to talk, uh, discuss? Hashem He says Hashem should open up my lips and and uh, my mouth should declare your praise. Umazbir ki Hashem What is it that we want most? We would like to have the ability, we would like to be able to communicate our love, our devotion, our loyalty, our praise of God with the mouth that Hashem has given us and the ability that we have to express ourselves via that mouth. What does it mean? Right now, we're not able, says David HaMelech. By the way, I'm not sure that in his time that this was true, but he's offering it as a prophecy for the future. When we read Tehillim, we live in a time where it's not possible for us to bring Karbonos. Says David HaMelech, we should have the opportunity to be able to bring a carbon um, uh, that can replace, uh, uh, somehow we have a carbon, it's called Hashem's Fosai Tiftoch, we have a carbon through Tfilah, through davening, that can replace the actual physical carbonus that were brought on the, on the Mizbeach. This, by the way, is a famous Chazal. Chazal saying it's it's a Medrash Rabbah. It's a posuk in Hosea that ends. Somehow the cows of the Mizbeach that you bring as a korban are are uh, replaced, or there, there is some type of um, uh, correlation between the korban and the tefillah that we utter, the prayers that we say. Says. 
says Vayikra Rabba. This is a it's a medrash. Rav uh, Rav Acha b'shem Rav Chanina bar Papa. Rav Acha said in the name of Chanina bar Papa. Shelo Yiu Yisrael Oimrim. The Jewish people should never say Leshe'ovar Hoyinu Makrivin Karbonos Mis Askim Bohem. In the past. We used to bring carbonos and we were busy with doing carbonos. But what are we going to do now? Now we can't bring carbonos. By the, by the way, in the time of Rav Acha um, and Rechanina Bar Papa, there was no such thing as carbonos anymore. The base Hamikdash had been destroyed. What do Chazal teach us? Now that we don't have carbonos, what is it that we're meant to do? This posuk in Hoshea gives us the hint. It gives us the grounding to have a replacement, something that can represent carbonos even in an era, even in an age where carbonos cannot be brought. Omar Kadesh Baruch Hu says, God, Seeing as you are involved with them, how? By saying the carbonos. By the way, you say carbonos every day. I remember there was a rabbi in Gateshead. I learned to Gateshead Yeshiva. He was the head of the seminary. I used to go and hear a shir from him every Shabbos, Shabbos afternoon. And I remember he once said that the first thing that people tend to do when they come late to davening is sacrifice the carbonos. Crazy. You shouldn't miss out the carbonos. You have to say the carbonized. Do you know why? Because the carbonized that you say is a replacement for the carbonized that you can't bring. All the carbonized that we say in the morning between the end of Berkas HaShachar and the beginning of Pesuke de Zimra are our opportunity to replace that which we cannot bring in physical terms, but at least we can express it. We can be misaseik. As the Medrash says in Karbonis, by saying the Karbonis, says this Medrash, this is what Rav Acha said, that we have the opportunity by uttering the words, by saying the words that describe and define the Karbonis, we have the opportunity to do something that it is as if we have brought the Karbonis. Continues the Mikdash Halevi. David HaMelech adds something so that those Psukim in Kapitel Nun Aleph of Tehillim continue. Ki kayoim kim ruach nishbara leib nishbar kim so the idea is that um, true sacrifice of Hashem is a contrite spirit. It's only if you have a broken heart that the sacrifice will work. That's what the posuk means. What is the purpose of a korban? That's what the Ramban says. Ramban says the whole idea behind korbanos is so that we should feel humbled, that we should see some sense of, uh, uh, of comparison between us, Baruch Hashem, we end up, when we bring a korban, we're still alive, but the korban is dead. But between us and the korban, the korban dies and we look at this live animal that a few moments ago was alive and now is dead. And we say, mm, that could have been us. So it makes us humble. It brings us down. We have some sense of our own mortality as a result of seeing that korban bought. And, it, and that will make us humble. Hare Shemisha Liboy Shovur Venitke says, the Mikdash Halevi, that he who see or she who see who has a broken heart as a result of this idea that we are fragile, our lives are fragile. Rotsui hui, rotsui hu korban. That person, if you daven, and you daven with a broken heart, you daven in the with the sense that you are not worthy of what it is that Hashem wants from you. Not because you're not trying, and of course you're worthy in many senses, but you could be doing so much more. You have that humility in the face of Hashem. That is the purpose of Karbonos, and that can be something that will be done, as the Posuk says on a Shalman, on a Shalma Parim Sefaseinu, through the words that come out of our mouths. That is something that we can achieve through davening, that we can, we can, lahovi esha'odom lide anova. It will bring a person to a sense of their own, I guess, it, it, humility is one way of describing it, but unworthiness, that we're not really worthy and we're not, we have a, a sense of our own fragility. Minayin shematoras 
How do we actually know that that's the purpose of Karbonos? How do we know that it's the Ramban's interpretation that is correct, but not the Rambam's interpretation, that the reason we bring Karbonos is only so that we can do away with, uh, with uh, the Yetzahar that we may have to bring Karbonos to Avodah Zorah. So at least we have a kind of a consolation prize. We'd love to bring Karbonos. Those foreign, those pagan religions bring Karbonos. We can't bring Karbonos, so we're going to be upset. We're going to want to bring Karbonos, so we're going to bring Karbonos to, to Avoid Zora. So, says the Rambam, at least we had this, this, this idea of Karbonos, this duty to bring Karbonos, so that we could be weaned off bringing Karbonos to Avoid Zora. How do we know that that's not the correct interpretation? That's what the Mikdash Shalevi asks. How do we know that the Ramban has it right? That the reason for Karbonos is And that we can see from the way David HaMelech continues with the Psukim here. At the time that, that Yerushalayim will be rebuilt, that what's going to happen is what you're going to do then? You're going to bring Karbonos. Nah, that can't be. Because, come on, let's think about it. The end of time, in this moment when Mashiach comes in the Messianic era, the walls of Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Let's be honest, there's no such thing as Avodah Zorah today to which people bring Karbonos. I'm not, not, I mean, there may be isolated examples of it in the world, but broadly speaking, in the culture of, uh, of the human race, anywhere you look in the world, in any continent in any country there's no such thing as a religion that demands that we bring or that human beings bring karbanot bring sacrifices on an altar and kill animals for the sake of whatever pagan god is being worshipped there's no such thing anymore that idea has been destroyed it's been obliterated. And nevertheless, Hashem, it's, that's what it says. That's what David HaMelech is saying in Perik Nun Aleph of Tehillim, that Hashem wants the offerings of the Jewish people. He wants the oilah, he wants the cows to be brought as Karbonis on the Mizbeach we have a proof, Barura, absolutely certain. That the whole purpose of bringing a carbon is to bring us down, as it were, to have to give us a sense of who we really are in the face of God. When we face of God, we could be very special in terms of the human human race. We could be very special because we're people of faith and there's many people who aren't faithful. But when we're faced with God, what are we? We have to be humble. We have to recognize that we have severe limitations. How do we have that sense? When would we ever get that sense? If we bring a carbon, that carbon gets killed before it's brought up on the Mizbeach and we see ourselves in that carbon because we too are mammals. We too have life. We were breathing and we are breathing, they were breathing, they were no longer breathing, and because they've been sacrificed, we have that sense of, of cross-identification with the mammal, with the cow or the, uh, or the bird that gets killed, and that will bring in us a sense of humility of what it is we need to do in the service of Hashem. If the whole a purpose of bringing Karbonos was simply because it's a way of getting rid of any desire we want to ha that we might have in terms of serving idols. <laughs> Do you want to serve idols? Anybody who's watching this YouTube or is listening to this SoundCloud, are you interested in being a pagan worshipper? I don't think so. I'm not. I'm not aware of. And no, nobody's ever come to me in all my years being a rabbi and said to me, "You know what? I had. I would like to serve." A, a pagan god. No one's ever said that to me. So if that's the purpose for bringing Karbonus, there would be no purpose in bringing Karbonus once Mashiach comes because there's nobody in the world that brings Karbonus anymore. 
but that's not what David HaMelech says. He says, Oz tachboit zivchei tzedek, oila v'cholil, oz yalu amizbachacha parim. David HaMelech is very clear that when Mashiach comes, we are going to bring korbanas. Lehoi sabah kol te'eles la'osid lovei kasha alilim kvayach yachlefu there would be no purpose in bringing Karbonus if the whole purpose was to somehow act as a counterpoint to that wouldn't make any sense the fact that David HaMelech is prophesying here that we're going to bring Karbonus at the time when the Beis Hamikdash is built, rebuilt, Le'osid Lovei, that means the purpose of Karbonus is to bring about in us a sense of humility Let's look now at the next piece in the Mikdash HaLevi. Daber al Bnei Odom ki yakrib mikem korban l'Hashem. Same posseg again. Mena behema mena bokem mena tzoyin tagrives korban chem. The Shulchan Aruch, that's what the Mikdash HaLevi quotes here, quotes the Shulchan Aruch in Ora Chaim Simen Tzadiches, Simen Dalad. Hatefilohi b'mokoim ha-korban. We already said this. Um, the the pasuk says in Hosea, "Unashalma parims fasenu," and we know that tefillah, specifically Shmona Esrei, it's not just the korbanos that we say in between Berkas Hashachar and Pesuke de Zimra. Actually, tefillah, the whole concept of prayer, is something that's there. It's a Gemara in Brachos. The, there's a machloikas there as to why tefillah was established. It's not really machloikas. There's two different opinions that Shachris Mincha Marev is Avraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov. And the other opinion there is that it's about the Korban Tomid of Baika and Korban Tomid of the afternoon. And then the Hector Chalovim that took place in the night. That that's the reason we daven Shemayin Esrei. And that's really, uh, I have to tell you, that lahalocha, uh, that's the way we paskin, that the reason why we daven Shachris Mincha Marev is in correlation to the times and to the concepts behind bringing the Karbonis. And that's what the Shulchan Aruch is saying here. The reason we daven Shemayin Esrei, the reason we have tefillah, we have prayer, is in place, is to replace the Karbonis that we no longer bring. Says the Shulchan Aruch that the way we daven should be very similar to the way we would have brought Karbonis. How do we bring Karbonis? You need to have uh, brought Karbonis totally focused on the Karbon that you're bringing. You can't be distracted. No, because then the Karbon becomes piggle. You can't do that. You have to be totally focused. You can't have any kind of other machshava when you're bringing a carbon. You can't have the type of machshava that is going to invalidate a carbon that you're bringing in the base Hamikdash. You have to daven shmen esrei, standing up. Why? Dumya da'avoida. In the same way as the service in the base Hamikdash had to be done standing up, you too have to stand up. Ukfius mokoim. You have to do it in a specific place. Another Gemara in Brochus. You're not allowed to daven in different places. You can't daven somewhere else every single day. Some people say even in the shul that you daven, you should have a specific place that you daven every day. But for sure, you have to choose your kahila, your community, your minion that you daven on a regular basis. In the same way, says the Shulchan Aruch, that you've got a kvius mokaim. When you bring a carbon, you can't bring a carbon wherever you want. It has to be in a specific place. Because in every carbon, there's a specific way of doing it and specific place and how it must be done. That is the concept behind carbonus that is also applied to davening as well. There should nothing be between you and the wall. In other words, the front of the shul, it shouldn't be uh, uh, in some way obscured from you. You shouldn't be davening in a place that's behind the shul, not in the shul. You have to daven in the room. That is the shul. Because in the same way as when you brought a carbon, that was the case. Dumia de carbon, shachatzitza paiseles beinoi lakir. That's the same halacha applies when it comes to carbonus. You can't have any chatzitza, a separation between you and the wall. 
And in fact, it would be most suitable that when you daven, you must wear proper fine clothes. Why? Kagoin big day kahuna. Because you've become a coin. Why? Because it says in Neshama Parim that this um, idea of Neshama Parim Svasenu, the idea of Tfilah being correlated, being compared, being the same as Korbonis, means you, if you are davening Shemana Estre, become like a Koyen. You become like a priest, or a priest had to wear special clothes. So when you go to daven, you can't just wear any clothes. You can't just go in your pajamas to daven. You have to dress properly. I'm, I'm, I'm being as generous as I can, but actually when you daven, there's, there's a way of going to shul. You can't just go in flip-flops and shorts to shul. You have to look suitable, you have to, because you, you have to be in big day kuhuna. The truth is, not everybody can afford to have the most beautiful clothes every time they go to shul, because not everybody can afford the most wonderful clothes. Says the Shulchan Aruch, at the very least, you should have proper trousers, proper pants that you're going to wear, that cover you properly, that you're going to be uh, um, appropriately dressed when you go to shul. You can't just come um, in, in a pair of swimming, uh, of swimming trunks to shul. That's not appropriate at all. You have to daven in shul appropriately dressed, which is of course why when you come to shul, one of the things that we do is we wear a talus. Why do we wear a talus? You don't wear a talus at home. You may wear a talus cotton, but the reason we wear a talus is because the talus is a proper item of clothing. It somehow conveys that you're in a special place and that's an appropriate thing to do when you are davening in shul because davening is the same as a carbon, the same as bringing us a carbon. That's what the Shulchan Aruch says as quoted here in the Mikdash HaLevi. In the Avudraham, which is one of the earliest Sidurim that we have, the text of the Siddur says, and this is in the Avudraham on Shachris Shalchoyl, on the morning service that we have uh, for the weekday, and this piece appears at the end of the davening we have which is a particular prayer that we say that there's no one like Hashem. Veda says that Abu Dram, you should know. You know you must know that if you are a chazan, if you are a baltfila, you're a shliach tzibur, you are like the Kohen who brought a carbon in the Beis HaMikdosh. Now that has to be the sense that you have if you get up in front of the Omud to lead the Kohal, to lead the congregation. It's absolutely clear, says the Mikdash HaLevi, that the duty that, um, that falls upon the Shliach Tzibur is extremely heavy. Kfeida ad limaid is something that yes you have to take that into consideration. Somebody asks you, would you like to be a cousin for Mincha? And you say yes, you say no. Do you ever think about the fact that if you are the cousin for Shachris or Mincha or Mariv, that you're like a Kohen? You are like a priest in the Beis Why? Because you become the person who represents the Kohol to bring the Korban because we've said Unashalma parim sefosenu, that the the words that come out of our lips is somehow correlated to the parim that we bring in the base hamidosh, and you're the chazan. You're not just a person in in the congregation in the minion. You're the chazan. The ein lahokel baroish klal uchlal. You can't be lenient about this at all. You have to have this sense that when you're the chazan, you, you have a super duty. Who loy rak chazan, this person who's the shliach tzibur, is not just a chazan, it's not just the person who's going to get up and say it out loud. He is the emissary, he is the shaliach of the congregation, just like the Kohen was the shliach of everybody for whom Karbonos were brought. Lahalo says Karbonos, same, Lerotzoin, Algabem is Beach. 
he had to bring the Karbonais according to the will of Hashem on the Mizbeach. That was the, that was the duty. That was the job of the Kohen. That's what he had to do. Oh, you're a chazan, you're a Kohen. You're bringing Karbonais on the Mizbeach. It's not simple. Let's think about it. What did the Kohen have to do? Oh, he had to be totally devoted, dedicated. His mind had to be totally clear. Couldn't be distracted by anything. He had to be, he had to make sure that everything he was doing was 100% L'Shem HaKorban. Otherwise, the Korban is going to be possible and he will have failed those who sent him to do the thing that he's about to do. That's what a chazan has to do. You can't have any distractions. She'im loy kein alula hoisa machsheves hapigul lifseis korban. It's defective. Alula. If you bring a korban and you're thinking about what am I going to eat for dinner, or um, have I arranged yet to, uh, to, to go out with my friends because I want to do something tonight, if that's what you're thinking when you're bringing a korban, the korban is pigul, it's no good. It's alula, it's defective. And that's chazan as well, you're chazan. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, how long is it taking? What is that person? Uh, I can see that person's looking at his phone. I wonder what he can see. And you're thinking about everything else except for what you're meant to be doing, which is to be the chazan, the shliach tzibur, the baltafila for the people who are in your minion, who are in your congregation. He must focus totally and completely. He must be entirely concentrated on the tefillah that he is doing on behalf of the congregation so that he doesn't turn it into something which is possible, a korban which is possible for the congregation, chalila. That would be a terrible thing. The omnum, hachazen, mechuna baltfila. Let's think about it. What do we call a chazan? I've said it a few times. He's called a baal tefillah. What does the word baal mean? Lelamdenu kitarechuliois baal madrego bitfillah. Baal means you're in control. Baal means you're in charge. Baal means you are somehow superior over something because it's your thing. You have to be a Baal tefillah. You have to be a Baal madrego. You have to have elevated yourself to be worthy of being the Baal tefillah, of being the chazan. Keshem she Baal chesed, hinu mishahu bar ma'ala bechesed. What is it that when somebody calls somebody a Baal chesed, oh, he's a great Baal chesed. He or she is a, a massive Baal chesed, Balas chesed. What does it mean? It means that they are the masters of chesed, the masters of kindness, the masters of charity. That's what they are. They're a Baal or Balas chesed. The exact same condition applies to somebody who is referred to in our, our rabbinic literature as a Baal Tefillah. He has to be a master of Tefillah, of prayer. It's not just enough that they read the last pasuk of every single thing. You know, the end of end of Ashray, tell us that's not enough. That's just reading. Anyone can read. That's not sufficient. Yes, to daven the whole davening, not just the last bits, and then skip through everything else or read through it with his eyes or sort of mumble or mutter through it. That's not a bal to filler. Slowly and carefully every single word. With all his heart and with all his soul. And only then can such a person be worthy of being the leader, of being the person who can lead the tzibur, the congregation, and to bring along their tefillah in front of Hashem, in front of the God who listens to all prayer. Let's do one more piece of the Mikdash HaLevi on Parshas Vayikra. Dabra Ben Yisrael Leimayr. Says the posuk, this is a posuk, 
um, later on, it says, Nefesh ki sechta bishkogo mikol mitzvah Hashem ha'shelayta arsena v'osa me'achas meheno. This is a discussion about a korban that you need to bring when you do what's known in rabbinic literature as a shoigeg. It comes from the Torah. Do you know what a shoigeg is? A shoigeg is an accidental avera, but it's not an accident that was just happened by chance. It's an accident of, you know, that you were negligent. Somehow you could have avoided that accident, but you didn't avoid that accident, and you ended up doing the Avera. Now, could you be blamed for the Avera? You didn't do it on purpose. No? You, you just did the Avera. You did the Avera, and it was a mistake, but you nevertheless have done it. Somehow it's contaminated you because that Avera has been done. For example, you ate non-kosher food, non-kosher meat, meat that wasn't shechted properly. And you could have checked whether you were eating the right meat or not the right meat, and you didn't check. It was an accident. You could say, but it's a negligent accident, because you could... Or, for example, somebody who makes a mistake on Shabbos, and, and it's not just a total accident, it's an actual negligent accident. He should have known it was Shabbos, he should have checked his calendar, he should have known that yesterday was Friday and tomorrow is going to be Sunday. He did a shoigeg. He has to bring a carbon chatos. That's what he has to bring. He has to bring a specific type of sin offering called a carbon chatos. Says the Medrash Tanchuma, quoted here in the Mikdash HaLevi. Mahu bishkoga, lelamducha shekolachoyte bishkoga, kilu oiver al mitzvahis Hashem. Says the Tanchuma, a fascinating thing. Why is it that you have to bring a carbon for a shaygei? to teach you that someone who is, who transgresses an Avera B'Shoigeg, as it were, in this negligent accident way, it's as if he has transgressed the mitzvahs of God. Interesting, says the Mikdash HaLevi, Mashmoz Tibri Chazal Hino. What is the implication here of what Chazal are telling us in Medrash Tachuma? Ki oiver Avera B'Shoigeg, ma'lo olav ha'kosov ki'lu over al kol mitzvahs Hashem. It sounds like it's saying that somebody who does a shoigeg, somebody who transgresses an avera somehow by accident, uh, you know, not quite a, a, a random accident, but the type of accident that could, could have been avoided, it sounds like they have been over all the mitzvahs of Hashem, that they transgressed every mitzvah in the Torah. It's not just the chet that he had transgressed, that has been transgressed somehow, there is an implication here that all the mitzvahs, all the averis in the Torah, anything that he shouldn't have done, he has done as a result of this shoyeg. This is, this is unbelievable. Really? You did something by accident and now you're guilty of having transgressed every Avera in the Torah? Says the Mikdash Shalevi, even somebody does something on purpose, let's say you ate non-kosher meat on purpose, or you were Mechalel Shabbos on purpose, the only reason you'll be held responsible is for the Avera that you actually did. You'll be, you will be um, held responsible for the specific sin that you sinned in that in that situation. How is it possible to understand this anomaly that somebody who is transgressing an avera b'shoigeig is even worse or is more culpable somehow than somebody who transgresses an avera on purpose? Makes no sense whatsoever. Says the Mikdash Halevi Venira, it appears to me, that somebody who transgresses an Avera, who does something wrong, who sins against Hashem on purpose. The fact is, it's totally focused, it's concentrated on that specific sin. Yitzray Hora. He was in a situation, he keeps every other mitzvah in the Torah properly, but in this particular situation, he wasn't able to withstand 
what the Yetzirah was telling him to do. The Yetzirah was saying, do the Avera, do the Avera, do the Avera, do the Avera. And eventually he, he couldn't hold back and he did the Avera. But it's only that specific, there was no other Avera mentioned in this exchange that he was having with the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah was, uh, was kind of forcing him in that specific area. He could have withstood the Yetzirah. He didn't. He gave in and he did that specific Avera. Ad asher the the um, Yetzirah was able to ensnare him, was able to get him to do the Avera because the Yetzirah, that's what the Yetzirah's purpose is, to get you to do Averas. And he was successful in that specific Avera. You can't hold him responsible for any other Avera because he was only... Um, he only transgressed that particular sin. That's the only thing he did wrong. And that was the thing that the Yetzirah was working on. You know, evil inclination wants you to do something wrong, focuses on the thing where you're most vulnerable, looks for the weakest link, succeeds, and then you did that Avera, and that's what you did. But you can't help be held responsible for anything else. There's no connection between this particular sin and any other sins that may exist in terms of the 613 mitzvahs, it's possible to say, in fact, it's very probable, plausible to say, that had the Yetzirah wanted him to do any other Avera, he wouldn't have done it. No, he's not interested in that Avera. Let's say you're somebody who has a specific weakness when it comes to food, and the Yetzirah tells you, you should eat that trefit look, doesn't it look delicious? That's what you should eat today. Uh, and the end, you give in to the Yetzirah and you eat the food that's not kosher. Does that mean you're not going to keep Shabbos? Of course not. You would never think about breaking Shabbos. You love keeping Shabbos. You love everything about Shabbos. You've never been a Machal Shabbos in your life. Or it could be the opposite. It could be somebody who has a tremendous weakness when it comes to Shabbos. But when it comes to eating kosher, they're 100% kosher. So one has nothing to do with the other. If you transgress one particular sin, it has no relationship with any other sin. Because the fact is, had the Yetzirah tried to get you to commit uh, a particular sin that you have no interest in, you would just reject it. You would have your control of your self-control. You wouldn't do it. On the other hand, when somebody transgresses a sin, it's kind of a negligent accident. You can't say that it was the Yitzhara's fault. You can't blame Sotan. You can't blame any kind of influence in your life because it had nothing to do with that. Could be that you don't even know that it's also, you know, that to be honest, in Ebershit says that we could all be Machalalei Shabbos. Do you know why? Because we don't know Hilchas Shabbos. Why don't we know Hilchas Shabbos? Because we don't learn Hilchas Shabbos. Every Shabbos comes along. We may be doing things that go against the laws of Shabbos simply because we're not educated in those laws, in those halachos. And we're shoigagim. I probably have to bring a carbon chatos every week because we don't know what we're doing. It's not because we're deliberate. No, Yetzirah has no influence on us when it comes to that. We want to keep Shabbos, but we don't know Hilchas Shabbos. Says that Rabbi Yonis we need to learn Hilchas Shabbos constantly to remind ourselves of what it is that is forbidden on Shabbos, that we never mechalal Shabbos, that we never desecrate the laws of Shabbos. There was actually no interaction that he had with his evil inclination that, where this, this could have resulted in uh, going one way or the other. It has no, no relationship with that. The reason why you are a choyte b'shoigeg is because you never got to learn the halachas properly and therefore you ended up doing it wrong and somebody pointed out, excuse me, you, what you just did was Chilul Shabbos. Oy vay, I did it with Shoigeg. You have to bring a carbon Chatos. But because you didn't know what you were doing. You never got into a fight with the Yitzharah. You just did it and you did it wrong. al Cain. Therefore, says the Mikdash HaLevi. 
when we're going to now, we're dealing with a specific individual. The person who did the Avera B'Shoigeg. Onu misyachsim elav kamisha ova ala kol kula. We have to consider that person to be like an individual who is a transgressor of every Avera possible that emerges from the Torah. Why? He's liable to do things which are wrong from the Torah because he doesn't know what he's doing or she doesn't know what she's doing. It's not because it's deliberate. It's specifically because it's an accident or because it's by mistake that we know that that person could be doing it in every other Avera. When it comes to doing it deliberately, it's very specific to the sin that you do. The HRA has an influence over you and the thing that you have a great weakness in. But when it comes to doing something, the Beshoige, it's nothing to do with weakness. The Yetzirah doesn't even engage with you because it doesn't know that you... It's, it's not something that ever comes about as a discussion. You just do it because you're doing it wrong. You could be doing everything wrong. Because if you don't know the laws, if you don't know the halachas, if you don't know what you're doing and how to do it correctly, and therefore... You're not somebody who is constantly learning, who's constantly making sure that you're famili- familiar with what it is that you need to do. Be clear that if you are uneducated in halacha, the chances are that you are a oiver avera b'shoigeg. It's as simple as that. If you don't know what you're doing, you can be sure that you're doing something wrong. If you're educated and the HRR imposes on you or manages to convince you to do something wrong, that's specific to that particular Avera. But if you are somebody who is an over Avera B'Shoigeg, then you can be certain that there's other Averas you're doing B'Shoigeg as well because you don't know what you're doing. But Omnam, Sibazu Hoyasha Medes, Me'achri Hahebdo, Bigishosa Shalatur Ben Ashoigeg Lemezid. That's exactly the reason that there's this difference between, in the Torah, between a Shoigeg and a Mezid, between an accidental, as it were, Avera and something that was done on purpose. Achoite Bemezid, Mekabel Einish Malkus. Somebody who doesn't Avera on purpose, he gets, um, he gets makos. Do you know what makos are? Makos are lashings. That they, were, uh, they could get up to 39 lashes with some kind of whip. And that was, was one of the punishments that Beisdin could mete out for somebody who did an Avera, specifically if they did it b'meizage. Shekein lemase, chato'oi nigram b'ikfus his gabrus koiches haguf hanishlotim do you know why? Because that very did was because the goof somehow overwhelmed the, the spiritual side of him as a result of the influence of the Yetzirah. That's what happened here. That your goof took control, your body, your material side took control and wasn't able to withstand the pressure. Because you should really do the, the mitzvah. You shouldn't be doing the Avera. But the reason you did the Avera was because your material couldn't withstand the pressure of the Yetzirah. We should have a Yetzirah that can counteract the Yetzirah, but somehow that Yetzirah was overwhelmed. In order to assist the spiritual side, the Neshama side of who you are, against the physical material side, of human existence, we hit the goof. What's the goof? The goof, the body is representative of the material side of the human condition. So we hit the goof because it's a way of diminishing the material in order to elevate the spiritual. And to give it pain, this is a, uh, taken from a posuk that he should no longer return to his folly. But on the other hand, when somebody does something, there's no reason why that person should get makas. Why should that person get lashed? Makes no sense. It's 
It's not because the goof, the, the material, the physical, the body took precedence or was stronger than the soul, than the spiritual side. Let's be honest. The reason why most people do Averis is not because they want to be deliberately bad. It's because they're not educated in how to do good or to do the right thing or to do the right thing properly. That's why Averis get done. That's got nothing to do with makas. Why would you get makas for that? That's just a lack of education. That's, uh, that's something which can be corrected if you're educated, because if you know the right way of doing something, then you'll probably do the right thing. That's why somebody who sins, this sort of half accident, on, you know, not negligent accident, uh, way of doing an Avera, mitzvah, mitzvah ha-toyrah lahavi korban lachapora al chatoi. The Torah says you have to bring a korban for that. Makkas isn't good enough. Makkas may be good for a, for a mazid, but it's no good for a shoigeg. Bechdeshe ha-korban al kol ha-koruch boi yo'ira oiselis boinanus yesera b'masov mikan ba'elach because when you bring the korban you're forced to focus you're forced to do teshuva you're forced to uh, understand that you've done something wrong and what it is you've done wrong and to hopefully repair that which is um, faulty in your system so that you never do wrong again the purpose of a korban is to ensure that you are going to be more thoughtful going forward that you're not going to end up doing the avera again because you realize you did something wrong you bring the korban you have this process it's got nothing to do with the fact that you were influenced by the yetzirah it's got to do with the fact that you were negligent it's got to do with the fact that you weren't on top of your game and in order to achieve a new path in your life you bring a carbon that refocuses you it re-energizes you it makes sure that what you're doing is the correct thing and going forward you will never commit the shoigeg again we'll leave it here for today thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening